Matthew chapter 24. And um, this, was, this talk came about because I was listening to a, a talk from another pastor in our fellowship from the East Coast. Uh, someone put up a link on Monday, I think it was, and said, oh, this talk's interesting uh, about the Lord's return. And I had to, had to listen to it while I was at work. I'm able to do that. I work on my own. And... Um, <clears throat> Uh, so I thought, well, this is interesting. It's um, it's familiar scriptures. It's encouraging um, meat about the Lord's return, but it just raises some questions about the verses um, and what they might possibly uh, suggest in terms of uh, time values, how how long something takes, and so on. So let's have a look uh, at some of these verses. It's not too many. Matthew twenty four verse thirty is where Jesus himself says that he's going to come back. And some people, you know, ridicule the second coming of Christ, you know, a bit of a joke. But it's in the Bible. The Bible is infused with it. And uh, this person giving the the talk that I'm I'm basically uh, built this on is, is said this is going to be the greatest event in the history of the universe when Jesus Christ returns. And um, here Jesus himself says in verse 30, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And uh, what comforting thing that is to read, that Jesus Christ himself is saying here to his disciples that there'll be a sign, the Son of Man, which is the phrase that he used to refer to himself uh, through the Gospels, and they'll see the sign of him, the person speaking here, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And uh, not like the first time when Jesus came as a you know, as a baby in a manger, and uh, sort of almost an unknown, Herod had this uh, prophecy told of him that there would be the king would be born, and he hunted for him and killed all the children under two years old and so on. Um, but he was a bit mysterious, wasn't it? You know, the prophecy of the king there, but uh, he came um, almost in disguise, shrouded in mystery, and uh, yeah, had to go down, flee down to Egypt uh, to escape from Herod, and then came back and lived in a, in a northern province up in Galilee. And no one really knew him. And then when he did start to, to go out there and preach about the kingdom, he said, isn't that the carpenter? Isn't it the carpenter's son? Aren't his brothers, Joseph and... You know, all the other ones mentioned there in the early chapters of Mark. Names them and his sisters. You know, we know him. Uh, where did this guy come from? But here, Jesus is going to return with a, with a sign. We don't actually know what that sign is. In the Greeks, uh, semion, the, the word, it means in the Greek a miracle, a supernatural indication, a wonder. So it's going to be something wonderful, something miraculous, something that's... Uh, a supernatural indication that this is this is not uh, the usual run-of-the-mill natural stuff going on here, and everyone's going to mourn. And there's this clouds, and uh, the clouds can can raise a little bit of conjecture here. Um, if you look it up in the concordance, it'll sort of refer back to the cloud that's seen in the in the book of Exodus when the children were going through the wilderness. The cloud, the pillar of cloud by day, and it, and it indicates that. But there are also are uh, suggestions of that the cloud can be a cloud of witnesses, like in Hebrew chapter, first verse of chapter 12, just after we've had all the figures of faith described in Hebrews chapter 11, and it says, seeing you are compassed about with such a cloud of witnesses, 
and describes them as a cloud. Elsewhere, Jesus talks about in another place that he'll come with all his angels, with the heavenly host and so on. So that could be the cloud quite, quite easily. Okay, so we see that, uh, we know that we see through a glass darkly. The Lord didn't, told us he wasn't going to tell us every single detail. He's given us, uh, enough to encourage us, to, to settle us, to establish us, so we stand on our faith and wait for his return. We don't need to know every detail, but it is interesting just to, to go over these verses, especially as the world, uh, as Tony was saying, you know, glued to their television sets, but we just have a quite, quite confidence. We know what well, doesn't matter. We don't have to look at the television, you know, for a, few, for a week and the world might come to an end, but it doesn't matter. We're okay, aren't we? Uh, Revelation chapter 1. And it's a similar verse in a way. It talks about people wailing. And just, just now we read about uh, tribes of the earth uh, mourning. And then here in verse 7 it says, Behold, he cometh with clouds. There are the clouds again. Uh, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. And uh, again, all kindreds of the earth shall wail. If you look that word up in your, in your Strong's Concordance, you'll find it means to chop or beat on the breast. But people don't do that unless they're extremely distressed, do they? Start doing this, you know, with um, distress and fear and so on. This wailing. And... Um, what a sound it's going to be. All the tribes of the earth, all the kindreds here, as it says, of the earth wailing. But the interesting verse that um, was brought out uh, was the, well, the little phrase, and they also which pierced him. And who pierced Jesus Christ? It was the Romans 2,000 years ago. Whether it was the spear or it was the nails going through hands and feet, they were the ones that pierced him. They aren't here now. What does this suggest? Does it mean that they which pierced will be brought back to life in a little um, moment to see the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Will everyone that has ever lived be brought to, to see this? Um, and we'll see some other verses which we'll read in a few more verses in a moment that suggest that possibly they do and then, then they are put away again till the end of the thousand years, the millennium, when everyone is raised up out of the grave to be judged. But it's just interesting that... Uh, that, that is brought out here in this verse where it says, He cometh with clouds, almost an echo of Matthew 24, verse 30, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Wail, why? Because they realized they chose the material, the temporal. The opportunity for the eternal was there, but they chose the material, something you could see and touch and hold and think, yes, it's more important to get status in this world, to get material things, things I can see and touch and hold. And, uh, of course, we're encouraged by those characters of faith in Hebrews 11 who saw the city afar off, as it tells us, in of uh, you know, Abraham and uh, Noah and people like that. They could see the city of God afar off and they obeyed God and they went out not knowing whether they went. And that's what, like us. We don't know really where we're going, but we know the Lord's got us in his hands. You know, he's coming back for us. He's preparing a place for us. Let's go up to Revelation chapter 20, which is all about the millennium. And in verse 4, we read, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads. 
or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. A thousand years is a millennium, and this is where the word millennium doesn't appear here, but that's what it is. Um, and there's a thousand years from the time that Jesus returns, a thousand years of, of righteousness and ruling and reigning with Christ, and then at the end of the thousand years, a judgment day, or days plural. Uh, and, and all those that were faithful and that were persecuted for Jesus, for the word, and they didn't worship the beast, and it's not a physical or a real tangible mark, but it's, it's in there. Remember, this is a book of symbols and uh, analogies and metaphors and so on, but in their foreheads, in their minds, if you like, and in their hands, in their works. Uh, they didn't worship the beast, um, but Jesus Christ. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And in verse 5, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Now, interestingly, that word again, the rest of the dead lived not again. And we just read that they that pierced him will see him. Do they live for a moment and see the return of the Lord? Is this, as has been speculated in the talk that I listened to on Monday, um, the moment when everyone who has ever lived uh, intersects, their lives intersect, just for a moment. They see the return of the Lord, uh, they live for a moment, they see that, and then, um, as it says in verse 5, they live not again until the, the thousand years be finished. So it's like they go back where they were. Um, I'm not being um, prescriptive or dogmatic about this, I'm just raising the question. It doesn't really matter. We're saved, we're safe anyway. Um, because we're part of the first resurrection. This is the first resurrection. Praise the Lord. And we all want to be part of that. On such, the second death has no power in the next verse. The second death, of course, is the end of the thousand years. And up in verse 12, we read, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Uh, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell, I've got a musical accompaniment for this. <laughs> the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. Are we going to, uh, yes, end that musical accompaniment now? Because I have finished reading that verse. Um, okay. So the sea gave up the dead which were in it, death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged according to their works. And this is the origin of the concept of Judgment Day, which is is a biblical statement, and yet has a sort of it gets ridiculed in this humanistic world we live in, this secular world as being a sort of a, a quaint old nation a notion from sort of the medieval past, you know, the, the idea of a, of a fiery judgment day and so on. But it's actually true. God has written here. There will be a thousand years of righteousness on the earth with the saints ruling and reigning. And that is mentioned not only here but in uh, elsewhere in Revelation when it talks to the churches there, the seven churches. And um, everyone is eventually judged. Everyone who has ever lived, the sea gives up those that have perished in the sea. And the gra hell just means the grave. If you look that up, you'll find out it is just the grave. Um some people might say, oh, well, you're just reading the King James Version and you're using certain words like again or certain words like, um, uh, yes, again in verse 5. 
But I'll just read you um, from the interlinear Bible, which is what it is, is the original Greek, in the original order that the Greek was written, with an English word just put above it to show the order of the original manuscript. And it's, you'll see that it's the same words there, it's just that the it's been reversed a little bit because, you know, we have a we might have a verb after a noun or before a noun and they put it the other way around and so on. So uh, this verse here, um, where is it? Uh, verse 13 in the interlinear, which is the original Greek, and gave the sea the in it dead. So instead of, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, in the original Greek it is, and gave the sea the inner in it dead. And the next phrase, and death and Hades, instead of hell, gave the in them dead. But translated here in the King James, it's in death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And the last part, they were judged each one according to their works. And in the King James, and they were judged every man according to their works. And that's identical. So you see that uh, in the original Greek, that it is, it is there, nothing has been changed, and all the other translations that you read, whether it's the NIV, the ESV, the NLT, all those ones, you'll find that the sense is, is still there. It is in all of the translations. So it is to do with, you know, the words that are written in the original manuscripts, not in the translations, and uh, we can just speculate a little bit within the boundaries of seeing through the glass darkly, you know, what's possible here? And um, what I'm really getting at is that uh, in verse 5 it says, The rest of the dead live not again until a thousand years were finished. Do they see the return of the Lord? And go back where they were and are raised up. Clearly, as it states here, to stand before God in verse 12 and be judged. All right? But upon the saints, those that are walking on with God and overcoming, enduring to the end, walking in faith, on, on such the second death has no power. You will not be judged. You will be righteous from the moment Jesus Christ returns, going on for the thousand years, and then beyond that into the eternity. So that is a great place to be. Don't give that up. Don't let it slip. You know, keep your eyes focused on the Lord. There are all sorts of things want to distract you. Um, what's that verse in Proverbs? It says something like, uh, the way of the righteous is excellent, but the way of the wicked seduces them. You know, you've already got the vision. But the wicked are trying to sort of turn you aside from what your vision that you already have and corrupt it. Don't let that happen. Protect it. Uh, Matthew chapter 25. And uh, this is, we read, we read from chapter 24 where Jesus says that the Son of Man will appear with a sign in heaven and uh, I'll see him coming in the clouds and so on. And chapter 25, he talks about the ten virgins, in other words, spirit-filled people, five wise, five foolish. We want to be the wise ones. We've got our oil topped up in a, in a spare vessel, you know, making sure we're, we're investing. We're, we're not just doing the minimum. You know, we're not just got the, the... It says they all went to sleep waiting for the Lord, but the, um, the, fool, the foolish ones said our lamps have gone out and they ran out of oil. You know, we want to make sure we've always got plenty of oil and that comes from just being disciplined, being disciples, making sure we're, we're praying, we're reading, we're fellowshipping, we're doing all the things that are easy that the Lord has, has laid out in front of us to do to stay safe. And uh, in this chapter he talks about that, he talks about the talents and how we, we all have a, something to give. 
And then he goes on in the last, the third the great parable here is the sheep and the goats. And the sheep and the goats are all spirit-filled people. It's not uh, spirit-filled and worldly. They're all uh, spirit-filled. You know, just as it says in Matthew chapter 7, not everyone that calls me Lord, Lord will be saved. You know, do I know? They are, you know, some I will say to them, I never knew you, you know. And they'll say, but didn't you teach in our streets? Didn't we do many wonderful works in your name? I don't know you. You've got to be worshipping the Spirit in truth. And, yeah, and, the, and the sheep are like that. And he's separating them out from those that just wanted to be like goats that go around doing their own thing, eating anything they like, and all the bad food, the thistles and the weeds and so on, and not the good good pasture that the Lord's given us. And the Lord's going to separate them out. You know, there are other parables about that, the tares and the wheat and so on. Anyway, um, it says in uh, verse 31, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Before this world was even made, he prepared this place for us. And uh, he talks about, what did he talk about? I was hungered and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. Caring for each other, for for the, the poor in spirit and finding the lost and so on. The others, the goats, he talks, you know, you didn't do that. And uh, and in verse 46, terrifying verse, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Not terrifying for us, of course. Life eternal is uh, pretty good. But... In the first couple of verses there, um, he should come in his glory and he'll be separating and sorting. And then the thought that was brought out in this in this talk that I listened to uh, was that doesn't necessarily happen in the twinkling of an eye. Yes, we are changed in the twinkling of an eye, but this process, maybe that is, is going to take some time and maybe every eye shall see that also. And that was the, uh, the thought that was uh, just put out there. I'll just read you the verse about uh, the twinkling of an eye because this is when the Lord returns. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. That's when the Lord returns. That happens in an instant, in a glance. In a twinkling of an eye. But this process doesn't tell us how long it's going to take. So, again, we see through a glass darkly. It doesn't matter. The Lord has intended it to be that way. We shouldn't be dogmatic. We shouldn't be prescriptive about certain things that we don't fully uh, know about. But it's it's worth just raising raising the issue. It's, it's ultimately it's very encouraging for us and the people see all of this reading about the Lord's return and what He's going to do. Righteousness sorted out, unrighteousness sorted out, and so on. Now, just to finish, I've just got three verses. Yeah, um, interesting things that happened and. Sometimes there's not always an answer, but I thought we might read them anyway. Matthew chapter 17, and it's okay. It's okay to say I don't always know what a verse means. I've found over the years it's better to be honest and say that and then go and pray about it and let the Lord teach you what that verse means than to make something up and be wrong. Um, and chapter 17, this is about Jesus taking three of his disciples, the, perhaps the three most 
closest, the three most uh, uh, important in terms of getting out, building the early church and getting the gospel out. You know, there's Peter, there's James, who became the leader of the church in Jerusalem initially, but was was killed by um, Herod, and John, his brother. Uh, John, of course, who, who wrote the Gospel of John and, and the book of Revelation and so on. And Jesus takes these three and uh, it, takes, it says after six days, which is prophetic in itself, but we won't go into that today, and he takes them up to the high mountain in verse 2 and is transfigured before them and his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as the light. Now, when they come down, well, actually, before we say that, we'll just read in verse 3, And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah, Elias in the Greek there, talking with him. And um, these three disciples saw this, but in verse 9, Jesus tells them that this was a vision. A vision. In other words, you've seen something. A vision is something you know which is coming ahead. Like we have a vision because we see ahead what's coming that hasn't yet happened. Right? Well, Jesus says in verse 9, as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. And they must have been, oh, what? I can't get my head around that. Uh, and they tell this vision. They've just been totally uh, stunned by what they've seen. And Peter is saying, let's build uh, three tabernacles or three little um, shelters out of probably whatever you could find, sticks and so on. One for you, Jesus, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then they hear the voice out of the cloud, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And why did this happen? Why Why did this happen? Well, Peter refers to it in, in the book of Peter, that we were with him in the holy mount. We saw him in the book, heard the voice from heaven and so on. He refers to it. And then he goes on to say, But we have a more sure word of prophecy. This, you know, which we have. But we weren't there. We didn't see what Peter saw. But he's saying, Well, you, you've actually got this, which is better. The word of God. You know, Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. His words, the whole Bible is about Jesus right from the start. And, uh, you know, he's alluded to through the Old Testament, uh, prophesied, predicted. And um, so there's there's that, that they could be these, these guys that were going to build the early New Testament church, will see it. But also, think of Jesus. He's about to go into the most agonizing, lonely, terrifying experience you could imagine, knowing that he's going to be killed and tortured by Romans, publicly humiliated, nailed to a cross and put up there for hours on end to die slowly in front of the world, the creation that he, he created uh, with his father, um, it would have fortified him to see this, to be part of this vision where when he returns, yet to come, he will be like this. Uh, transfigured, shining like the sun, and raiment as white as light. You can read about that in Revelation chapter 1. In Jesus' returns, this is what he'd be like. And he hears the voice of God saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Think of the confidence that would have given Jesus just about to go into the most terrifying experience and knowing it was, you know, even though he prayed, if it be possible, let this cut pass from me, but he, he didn't. He just sort of asked the question, and he said, that, you know, not my will, but thy will be done. You know, I'm willing to, to drink the cup. And he did, of course. Um, so there's that. And, and there's another very interesting episode, a few chapters further on in chapter 27. 
Because so, uh, the reason I bring these out is because sometimes people think, well, why was Moses there? Why was Elijah there? You know, they were dead. They weren't spirit filled. They couldn't, you know. But if this is a vision of the future, they're going to be raised like everyone that has ever lived eventually. And so, you know, there's a vision of the future when they are you know, present. Uh, in chapter 27 is, is another one that's sometimes very confusing and uh, head spinning, you might say. And it's when Jesus is crucified and uh, he's, he calls out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And someone runs and gets a sponge. And then Jesus, it says in verse 50, cried again with a loud voice and yielded up the ghost. He gave up the ghost, he died. Verse 51, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. And uh, it's hard to, to explain this one. Um, saints, of course, no one had been spirit-filled yet. There are one or two occasions in the Old Testament where it says the Holy Spirit was put on this person to do to be God's representative, but the Holy Spirit hadn't been poured out yet. We, we haven't got to the day of Pentecost yet, and Jesus is uh, still, he's just died, he's in the ground for three days, then he's seen, rises from the dead, he's seen for 40 days, tells them to wait in Jerusalem, they wait for about seven days, or seven days, and then on the 50th day, day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. So, saints, which slept, it must be referring to, this again must be like a vision, like the transfiguration. And again, I'm not being prescriptive, just suggesting a possible explanation that a vision of what is to come when everyone is raised at the end of the thousand years and are seen, just as Moses and Elijah there were seen on the top of the mountain. So there are things that are hard to understand in the Bible, but they're probably hints about the return of the Lord, the millennium, and the judgment day at the end of that. We'll finish in John chapter 14 on an encouraging note. And Jesus himself speaking, verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe you also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, many places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Wonderful to know. Uh, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Another verse about Jesus saying about himself that he would come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And um, just go up to verse 26. The Comforter, and Jesus talks in this chapter, of course, about the Holy Ghost coming and living inside those that uh, accept, that uh, are obedient. I won't leave you orphans. I won't leave you comfortless. And he says, this comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And it's an instruction to us. If we see things happen in the world which are ordained to happen, we are not to be troubled, and it's a testimony. As Tony said, it's not, and you wouldn't put it on, you know, and you're going to sit down and talk to your, your in-laws about what's going to happen, and, and I had the same experience recently. When COVID started, I said to my three brothers, 
guys, you know, if you want to know where safe, real safety is, and I had another go at witnessing to them, you take the opportunity. I got shut down. Doesn't matter. You know, at least you try, don't you? And it's the same thing, you know. Our testimony is now we're not troubled. Uh, don't get get involved with with too much of the the details of what's going on. Just be ready to give an answer of the hope that lies within you. And all the people said, Amen.